All right, uh, we're getting ready to get into the word for today. Uh, again, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, growing up, uh, I grew up in a church right outside of Yonkers, Shiloh Baptist Church. And every single Sunday, the ushers would kick it off, and then the choir would follow behind the ushers uh, singing, We've Come This Far By Faith, and they'd have their robes on, swinging. Uh, and although I took it for granted growing up as a kid, a lot of what I learned about perseverance a lot of what I learned about moving forward, I learned from Shiloh Baptist Church, that small uh, church. Um, now, the black church has a lot to teach us about what perseverance and all these different things look like. And particularly, if you are unsettled in the last couple of days or weeks, whether it's the inauguration or something personal in your life, um, here's what I've learned over the years, over the decades. Uh, situations come and go. Um, but as the song says, we've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word. Uh, he'll never fail us, um, and we're not going to turn back now. So uh, as we encounter today, uh, I think it's such a great time to be in a series on faith. Uh, that's the one thing that's going to hold us. Situations come and go, but faith is the one thing uh, that we need in times, uh, whether good or bad, um, and we are really excited to get into that for today. So we're going to read the scripture for today. It comes from Hebrews 11. Uh, it'll be on your screens uh, to the left and to the right. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I'm going to read it for you in the NIV. It says it like this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen, uh, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith... Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping with faith. God's word for God's people. Now, I want to bring out one of my friends, uh, Chris Travis. He's going to be preaching for us today. Uh, give it up for Chris, y'all. Give it up for Chris. Thank you. Now, I've known Chris for about six, five, six years. Uh, I, just, I might have just inflated that number a little bit, but uh, Chris is a church planter. He's a great <laughs> friend. Uh, he and his wife, Lindsay, and their two boys are a part of Renaissance, and we are just super glad to have them. So I'm going to pray for Chris, and I'm going to get out of his way. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to look at what our lives will look like uh, living by faith. Bless my brother Chris. God bless us to have ears to hear and bless our hearts to receive what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Thanks. Uh, there are times in life when what's best for us doesn't make sense. Now, we've all experienced this. Um, I just had an experience with this, a, a fresh one, about a week ago. Um, as Jordan mentioned, uh, my wife and I helped plant a church uptown. Um, right now, I'm teaching at a, char a really awesome charter school. I've tended to kind of slide back and forth between education and ministry. Um, right now, I'm teaching math to fifth graders, which is the youngest grade I've ever taught, and I'm learning about what fifth grade is all about. Um, like the first week of school, 
I helped a little girl tie her shoes, and I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's what this is. There's another thing that happens in fifth grade that I'm finding out about. Um, their, teeth, their teeth fall out. Your baby teeth come out around that time. I had no idea. It just happened twice in my classroom, and I was like, oh, this is another thing I'm going to have to deal with. And about a week ago, a little boy named Eduardo, who is this awesome little kid, he's like this big, he weighs 45 pounds with rocks in his pockets, he's got like the classic bowl cut, big black graphic glasses, um, he's always smiling, and he's always reading, even in my math class, so I have to go take books away from him, which just feels wrong, but whatever, <laughs> stop reading in school. Um, but he comes up to me and taps me on the shoulder at my desk, and I'm instantly I'm angry that he's out of his seat without permission, and I, I say, what, what is it, Eduardo? And he opens up his mouth real big and grabs one of his molars and just flips it over to the side, because it's like <laughs> hanging on a hinge. And um, so I go into fake it mode, um, because 90% of my job is pretending like I know what I'm doing when I don't. And so I just go into mode like I've handled this 100 times before, and he says, he says Mr. Travis, what should I do? And I'm like, go get a tissue. So he goes and gets a tissue, and I look him right in the eye, and I ask him, Eduardo, do you trust me? And he thinks for a long moment, <laughs> uh, looking real skeptical, but he says, yes, I, I trust you. And I'd like to think I have a track record with him to where it would make sense for him to trust me, but he said, yes, I trust you. And I was like, okay, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three, and boom, you're going to go. You're not going to think. You're going to take that tissue, grab that tooth, twist, and pull. And um, again, I'm making this up. I hope, I'm hoping this is going to work. I'm hoping he's not going to be like, ah, and it doesn't come out or whatever. Um, and so I say, I ask him again, do you trust me? And he's looking a little scared at this moment of what he's about to face. And, but he says, yes, I do. And so I get down on my knee, and I look him right in the eye, and I'm like, Eduardo, like a man. One, two, three, go, now, go, now. And he grabs it and twists and yanks it out, and it comes out. And he's like, oh, and I'm a little surprised, but I, I fake it. I'm like, I'm like, that's right. That's what happens when you trust me. And, uh, and he's real excited, and it came out, and everything, everything worked out okay. But here's what I want you to hear. This is the point of this. Everything in you goes against pulling one of your teeth out of your mouth. You, you may have forgotten about this because it was years since you saw the tooth fairy, but like... On a visceral body, instinctive level, it goes against everything to grab a tooth and pull it out. It doesn't matter how loose it is. Everything in you says teeth are supposed to stay there, and I'm not supposed to be the one that pulls it out. So it's a, it takes a huge gut level of faith, risk, courage, trust to grab that tooth and pull it out. But it was what was best for him, clearly. He just had to do something that went against everything that seemed right for him, and the only thing that he had to go on was whether he trusted me, and he did, so he did it. Now, certainly lots of times in life, there are good things that you only get to experience if you take the risk or you have the trust or the faith. Like, I, I have two little boys. One is a little over two. One is a little over one. And um, I like to introduce new foods to them. And the older one, I'm always like, trust me, you're going to like this. And when he does decide to trust me, he he gets to try this whole new experience. And most of the time, he does like it. The problem is, I overplay that sometimes, and I try to trick him and say, you'll like this, when I know, really, you're probably not going to like peas or whatever it is. But So his, his trust is sort of, you know, gotten thin. And I blew it with my wife with movies. She used to trust my recommendations, and I don't remember what movie it was that 
violated the trust. I think Jim Carrey was in it, but it's no more. She won't watch anything else that I recommend, so that's over now. But there are things in life like you don't get that new experience unless you trust. And I've definitely experienced with my boys the opposite of something they need to go through that's good for them that can't possibly make sense to them. And all they have is trust. So for example, when I hold them down literally at the doctor's office so they can get an injection. Now, even if I wanted to explain to them about microorganisms and antibodies and vaccines and how good it is for society and how it's going to save them from getting polio later or whatever, I couldn't. I couldn't make myself understood if I wanted to make my, They're not capable of understanding all that's going on behind this. All they have to go on is pain that makes no sense and trust of me. And for my little one, the one-year-old, all he has to go on is like reassuring sounds that I make, maybe my smell, um, the fact that we have some track record, that I've been there for him. It's just pure trust. And what I want to say to you today is that when it comes to God, we are all like that all the time. Because God is infinite and all-knowing and all-powerful, and I am little and limited, and I know so little, and I have almost no power. God's perspective is infinite. He sees all things in all ways. The best I can ever hope for is to experience whatever I personally encounter. I can't even get inside your shoes and see the world uh, through your eyes, certainly not through the seven billion people in the world or all the people who have lived and died and all the other ways you can imagine perceiving reality as God can. And my understanding is so limited. We don't even understand how our brains work. We don't even understand the depths of our own unconscious, but God knows all things. And I don't, I don't have the power to create myself or to add one minute onto my life, but God is all-powerful. So if it's true that there is an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-perceiving, infinite God, it simply has to be true that there's going to be times when it doesn't make sense to me. There are going to be times when following this God is going to mean something risky, scary, uncomfortable, unpleasant, something I don't want to do or not doing something that I do want to do, something that doesn't make sense to me or something that doesn't make sense to those around me. If he truly is infinite, all-knowing, and all-powerful, it just has to follow that that's the way this thing is going to play out. Now, there's all sorts of things in Scripture that totally make sense to us. There's all these commands that are almost like pleasant to follow. Like God says, rest. And he says, be joyful. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. That's the first command. It's a great one. Um, and he says, um, be content. You don't find a lot of people like, that doesn't make any sense. Why does God want us to be content? That's ridiculous. Those commands that make sense to us doesn't take a lot of faith. doesn't take a lot of trust. It's when you come up to a situation where you know you've got to do something, or you're going through something that doesn't make sense, or you've chosen to do something that doesn't make sense to the people around you, and they're pushing back, or you've chosen not to do something, and it's very difficult, or you're going through something painful. Those are the moments when it really matters. Do you trust God? And there are times in faith, as in life, when the only thing you have to go on is trust. And that's a good word, trust. That's a good way to think about faith. In fact, you can read through some of the faith verses in the Bible and sub out the word trust, and it'll open it up a little bit more for you, because a lot of faith is trust. When I was preparing for this message, um, I googled 
de uh, definition of faith, just because I was curious what Google had to say, because I, I don't know when this happened, but Google kind of took Merriam-Webster's place over the last few years. So, so th this is how Google defines faith, the two definitions. One, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Two, strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Now, there's certain parts of both of those definitions that are true and maybe parts that I might push back on a little bit, but what we're saying in this series is that the faith of the Bible, the relationship with Jesus, is actually more like the first definition than like the second definition. Most people think of Christianity or this thing with Jesus like the second definition. It's a system of belief. It's faith in certain doctrines or truths, and that's important and real insofar as it goes. Like, knowing things about God is important. Same way that I can't really have a relationship with Lindsay and just believe things that aren't true about her, my wife. Like, if I'm just like, no, you do like Jim Carrey movies, regardless of whatever you say, it's important that I know true things about her to know her. But it's secondary. What's really important is the relationship. And so what we're suggesting is that the faith of the Bible is actually more like the first part of that definition. It's trust or confidence in a person. I really like the definition that Jordan introduced last week for this series of faith. It goes like this. Faith is confidence in the character of God. It's based on the first verse of Hebrews chapter 11, which is the passage that we're working our way through in this series. And I think it's a really good definition that faith is confidence in God's character. So not just in that you're all-powerful and you're all-knowing and you're, and you're all-wise and you're unlimited, but also that, God, you're good that your intentions are good, that your intentions towards me are good, that you really want what's best for me and for everybody, that you're really taking us to a good place, that, in other words, I trust you. And never is that more important than when what you're having to do to get to where God is taking us is painful or challenging or unpleasant or doesn't make sense. That's when it really matters whether you trust Him. And which is why in this chapter they provided one of the examples of faith that the God has provided for us is the story of a man named Noah, very famous man. And throughout this chapter, there's like this list of quote-unquote heroes of the faith. And I put heroes in air quotes because if you read back through the stories of these men and women, they are not perfect people. In fact, some of them have very sordid lives. But what makes them an example of faith is that in the end... They trusted God, and in the end, it turned out that that's what really ultimately mattered in their relationship, and it's true with Noah. So uh, today we're looking at uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7, and I just want to read through that verse and comment a little bit on it in his life because you couldn't ask for a better example of somebody who had to trust God when things did not make sense to him and when they didn't make sense to those around them. So here's what Hebrews 11:7 says about Noah. It says that by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now, uh, most people anywhere know at least a little bit about Noah. And the readers of this uh, letter 
the book of Hebrews, when it was first read, they would have really thoroughly known the story of Noah from the book of Genesis. But most of us have at least heard of him. You know, there was a flood, it rained. You probably heard 40 days and 40 night. He built the ark, this big boat. The animals came two by two, and he stayed safe with the animals inside the boat, um, and, and everybody else died. Now, a thing has happened with this story, though, where it happens a lot with ancient things, where they kind of take on a fairy tale quality uh, over the years. And this story in particular has become a children's story. Like, I think because of the animals, it's really cute thinking about the two animals, two by two. And I'm not hating on that. We have a little wooden ark puzzle with two lions and two turtles and all that that I play with my sons. But when I tell them this story, I have to tell the made-for-daytime-TV version of this story. Because it's all cute that you know, Noah and the animals were safe in the boat and the world was flooded and then landed and they were okay. But there's another part of this story that I have to kind of cut out and that's that everybody else died. The whole world died. This story in scripture is actually a pretty terrifying story of judgment. It's not a cute kid's story. And that's why it says that Noah, by his faith in holy fear, he built the ark. Now, before I comment on that, just one more little aside. Um, I just want to talk about the historicity of this story because a lot of people get hung up on that. Did this really happen? Um, did it really happen precisely the way they say it did? Was this really a global flood or was it a, a local flood and it was all the known world at the time to the ancient Near Easterns? Is it even biologically possible? Does this match up with the fossil record? Was the ark big enough to hold all these animals and all the feed they would have required? Could they have survived? And people go down all these rabbit trails trying to sort this out. And because I'm a Bible nerd, I love all that stuff. And it's, it's interesting. I affirm all that line of inquiry, but I also have to say it's totally secondary at best. Because if God was really concerned about us getting all that part right, he's capable of making it crystal clear. The things that he wants us to be clear about, he did make clear in Scripture. And there, there are many, but I'll mention two. One is about this story, God wants us to know his heart. So he's really clear about that in Scripture. I encourage you to read the story yourself in Genesis 5, 6, uh, 7. But in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says that God looks down on the world. This is primitive, primitive part of our history. And he sees how wicked, how evil the world is. And in particular, it's the violence that gets to him. He points out how violent the people are to one another. And he regrets, it says he regrets in his heart having made people. The New Living Translation translates that as, it broke his heart. And I think that's really what the feeling that God was having. He, it broke his heart. And it's hard for us to imagine, but if you can imagine the way God really is, he loves, deeply loves every single man and woman who has ever been created, who's ever lived. And he's looking down on the world and he's seeing his children who he loves have created a hell on earth for themselves. And we're talking primitive man, they have technology, weapons. They don't have civilization. So you think about the violence, the genocide, the rape, the horrors that they're perpetrating against each other. And this is hard for us to get, but I think you can just begin to imagine a scenario where you could see people you loved had become so deranged and were so miserable that it would be better for them not to live than to go on in that state. Regardless, whenever you encounter things in Scripture about judgment or anger or punishment, these are moments more than maybe any other moment where it, it really matters, do you trust God? 
Because those are things that are hard. They're hard for me. They're very hard for me. There's some things in the Old Testament that are very hard for me to, to deal with. And it always comes back to, I get it doesn't make sense, but do I trust God? And for whatever it's worth, God wants us to know his heart was broken. There's some anger in there, but it wasn't an angry response first. It was a heartbroken response. But he doesn't wipe us all out. He doesn't say like, okay, the human experiment failed. I'm going to start over with a new species and we'll see if they work out. Um, He's like, I want to keep trying. So he picks out a man, the most righteous man he could find, Noah. And he says, get your wife, get your sons, get their wives and a sampling of all the animal kingdom. And he gives him instructions to build this boat and waterproof it inside and out because I'm going to make it rain and rain and rain until the whole world is flooded. I'm going to wipe this all out, clean slate, but I want to start over with you, and I want to give it a, a shot uh, with you. So this, but that leads me to the second thing that God wants us to understand, and that is that part of what set Noah apart was that he trusted God in this situation that couldn't have made sense to him. God told him to build an ark, and they live in an arid desert climate where there's not a lot of water at all, but there's certainly not enough water to float a boat, uh, any kind of boat, but let alone a big boat like this. And God tells him, in preparation for an unprecedented disaster in this arid climate, I want you to start building a ship on dry land. It's this massive project. The dimensions in Scripture are huge. It would have taken months to complete this. And what set Noah apart was that in holy fear, he did it. He get to work. We don't know. Maybe God talked to other people. We have no idea how that all played out. But part of what set Noah apart was that in faith, he got to work. And this is highlighted for us Here in Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 7, God wants us to know that when things didn't make sense, and you better believe this did not make sense to Noah, there had to be times when he got up to work on that boat when he was like, this is ridiculous. Whatever prompted him at the beginning to start the work, there had to be times when he said, this is nonsense. And you know that his neighbors thought he was crazy. You know that they thought, They pushed back. They laughed at him. You know they thought that he was crazy. And there had to have been times when all he had to go on was some kind of trust in in who God was and the relationship that he had with God. And Hebrews 11, 7 points out that that is important for us to know, that by faith, Noah did this thing, and by faith, he became an heir of the righteousness, the right doing, the right being, the right thinking, the righteousness, the goodness that is in keeping with faith. So I want to unpack that a little bit, but to do so, we have to get into some tricky territory because we need to talk about the relationship between faith and obedience. And this is a tough thing to get. It's a tough thing to get, and people argue back and forth about it. And some people really, really drill on faith, and some people really, really drill on obedience. And the reality is, it's all about a relationship with God that involves faith and obedience. So on on the one hand, you know, Noah obeyed God. Part of what set him apart is he obeyed God, but it wasn't all about obedience, and life isn't all about obedience. Noah obeyed God specifically, and some people kind of make that mistake of like, it's really just about what you do, about being a good, a good person. The whether you are connected with Jesus doesn't really matter. And the best analogy I could come up with that was, that's like if at the end of the school year, a fifth grader that I'd never met before came up to me and was like, look, we don't know each other, um, but I've been doing a lot of math at home, and it's been really good, and I, give me an A in your class. And I would just be like, I don't know you. I don't know you, kid. Who are you? 
Like, that's what that example is. And God isn't just trying to get us to do certain things. He's trying to turn us into a certain kind of person who is bold and courageous, who is free and full of joy, who has faith. That's one of the, the virtues, the vital virtues that God is trying to build in us. But some people make the other mistake. Some people really just focus on, it's all about what you believe. It really doesn't matter what you do. And faith is like uh, a statement, a list of doctrines, a check, check, check. I believe that, 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 that. And that it does not impact the way that I live my life at all. But that's not what Noah's life teaches us. His trust in God definitely prompted him to do something that did not make sense to him or to those around him. And so there's this really important aspect of faith where if you really believe, it prompts you to live differently. And, and there's a, a question to ask. If what you believe doesn't affect anything about your life, then there's an important question to ask. Of, do I really believe this thing? Here's the way the Bible says it in James chapter 2, verse 26. It says, in the same way that the body uh, without the spirit is dead. So when your spirit leaves your body, your body is dead. It can't move. It can't do anything. It's, it's dead. In the same way that the body without the spirit is dead, faith without deeds or without action or without works is dead. So as soon as your faith stops affecting you, as soon as your faith stops working itself out in what you do, what you think, how you talk to people, it starts to die. When that action leaves, maybe there's a faith there, but is that faith alive? And James even says, can such a faith save you? Like, is that even really a faith? Now, this is why uh, George MacDonald writes, and I actually tend to agree with him, instead of asking yourself whether you believe or not, ask yourself whether you have this day done one thing because he said do it, or once abstained because he said do not do it. It is simply absurd to say you believe or even want to believe in him if you do not do anything that he tells you to do. Now, this is tricky business because immediately we're like, well, what, I, I, I mess up. I'm not going to be perfect, and I do not get this perfect. Noah did not get this perfect. If you read through the account, the account in Genesis, they, they go through the whole thing. The waters recede. The boat touches down on dry land. And then like the next two verses, he gets plastered and then passes out naked in his tent. Now, granted, he's been through a lot. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there. But this is the hero of the faith that's in this chapter right here. God, the waters recede. God makes the commitment, I'm never going to do this again. He puts the rainbow in the sky that I'm never going to destroy the world by flood again. And then he's drunk, like the next verse. And that's got me like, did he bring his homebrew kit on the ark? Because I don't remember that in there. Actually, the Bible explains how he got drunk in two verses. You know, ancient documents sometimes are so sparse that it creates funny moments. And for me, this is a funny moment. It says, they touch down. The next verse, he plants a vineyard. The next verse, he gets drunk on wine and falls asleep. So it's like Noah was like, okay, that's over. Planted a vineyard. And I just picture him like watching the grapes grow. Like what he, Then he gets the wine, he gets drunk. And it causes this whole problem. One of his sons embarrasses him and he curses that son and creates these problems. And the human cycle just kind of repeats itself right off the bat. So this is why it's tricky to get. We're not talking about being perfect, but we are saying if your faith 
doesn't work itself out ever in you ever doing anything because you trust God or not doing something because you trust God, then do you really trust God? And what you find the longer you walk with Him is every time you do something or don't do something because you trust Him, your obedience is an act of faith. When you're walking with Jesus, it's an act of faith. I'm doing this because I trust you. I'm not doing this because I trust you. And I'll just speak for myself. Whenever I don't do what I know God wants me to do, it is always because somewhere deep inside me, I, I lack confidence in the character of God. That just like our first father and mother in the garden who looked at the apple and they were like, I know God said don't do it, but it looks good and it seems beneficial for the gaining of wisdom. And I'd really rather decide for myself what's right and what's wrong, so I'm going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God must be holding out. He must be stingy, whatever. He must not really have the character that he says he has. He must not really intend what's best for me and what's best for others. And whenever I intentionally do something that I know is wrong, it's because I don't really believe that God has my best interest at heart. I, don't, I lack confidence in his character. So that drives us back to the truly vital question, which is, how do we develop trust in God? Where does that trust come from that enables us to do the things that don't make any sense or that don't make sense to those around us? And I know this is a real question for all of us. If not now, it will be. For some of you, it is right now. One example that I know really stands out is uh, there's a lot of single people in this church, and I I know there's a lot of uh, couples who aren't yet married and I don't want to force it to find the relationship moment after church, but wherever you are and that. And I know some of you, because of your faith in Jesus, you are abstaining sexually. You've said, I'm, we're going to be pure sexually. And you want to talk about something in our culture that it's not going to make sense to you a lot of days. It's going to go against everything in your body and your heart. And it's certainly not going to make sense to people around you. They're going to think it's really weird if you make a commitment like that. Um, but... I just want to say to you, I get it. My wife and I, we dated um, for years before either of us were believers, and then we had to make some big changes when we became believers, and then we dated for years, and then we're engaged. Um, And all I can say to you is, it is hard, and it doesn't make sense. But now, coming up on 13 years of, of marriage, that's way better than I ever could have hoped it would be, I'm starting to see the wisdom of it, that actually God does know what he's talking about. He actually does know what's best. So this is a real question. When you're trying to do something that doesn't make sense to you, doesn't make sense to those around you, how do you get that trust in God? And um, the first thing I want to say to you is that it's not about me and it's not about you. It's not about my trust or my faith or how big my faith is. It's about God. It's about whether or not He is trustworthy. And it's about whether or not He is faithful. And so the trick is not to think about yourself at all or your own faith or your own lack of faith, but to keep shifting your focus back on to God and who He is and what He does. And uh, so one great way to do it is get to know Him. I love that this church is doing the CBR, the Community Bible Reading, because it's a way of approaching Scripture where your main goal is not to know about God or know things about the Bible, but to actually get to know God. And so I encourage you to do that. Get to know God. Because there are times when his character and his track record with you personally and with the world 
is all you're going to have to go on. There have been times when Lindsay and I have gone through really hard things. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we have suffered. And there have been times when the only thing that kept me going was Christ on the cross. The only reason I was able to trust this God for another moment was because he was the God who likewise suffered, who likewise called out, why? Why have you forsaken me, God? That God that was willing to go through that for me, I could place my trust in. But my circumstances, how I was feeling, what I was thinking, none of that did it. That was all I had. So get to know God. The second thing that I want to recommend to all of us is that we keep asking for God's Holy Spirit to fill us and help us. Because what you're going to find is, while a real living faith is going to prompt you to change the way you live, we don't have it in us. I don't, and you don't have it in you to actually carry it out. Only God working through you can actually help you obey what you know to be true. And this is actually one of the things that sets Jesus followers apart from all other people. Um, And I want to read a little passage from C.S. Lewis because he explains this better than I can. He explains it like this. The Christian is in a different position from other people who are trying to be good. They hope by being good to please God if there is one. Or if they think there is not, at least they hope to deserve approval from good men. But the Christian thinks any good he does comes from the Christ life inside him. Now, this is the part to catch. He does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. So, when you ask the question of like, how do I do this? How do I live out my faith? How do I grow more faith in him? Get to know him better and get in the habit of asking him to help you. I love what Jordan said last week about commitment because it's not about getting it perfect. It's about in faith, I commit to this, and you keep trying, and even when you mess up, the commitment doesn't change, but you ask God for help to do it, and here's what you're going to discover. When you ask for the Holy Spirit, that is a request that God always grants to his children. If you want to know a 100% surefire prayer, when you ask God to give you his Holy Spirit, to help you do what you know he wants you to do, he always does it. Doesn't mean he takes away the pain, doesn't mean he makes it easy, but he will give you his Holy Spirit. He will give you what you need to be patient or wise or strong or courageous or whatever you need to do the thing. And if you live this way, getting to know God in relationship and asking him to work through you and trusting that he does, uh, some really interesting things start to happen. One thing that starts to happen is your faith will start to shift to knowledge over the years. Um, Like, the more you test God and try Him at His Word, you're going to discover that it's true, that it works out. I don't know, I don't remember when Lindsay and I started being faithfully generous with our money. It was years and years ago. And for a long time, it took a lot of faith to make that decision. I really, it doesn't take faith now for me to do that. The faith has shifted to knowledge. I know from my experience that God always takes care of us. It always works out. And, and when you meet like those, those old wizened saints in the church that have been doing this forever, they just have that. It's not even faith anymore. It's, it's knowledge. It's transferred to something they just know experientially. And Jesus explained this. He said, if you keep with my teaching, if you practice my teaching, then you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
If you keep with the teaching, practice it, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The second thing that will happen that's really cool is you will actually become a better person, but you won't feel like it. Um, you actually, you'll kind of feel like you have further to go the longer you go, because you'll know that it's not really you, that you couldn't do it in your own ability. In fact, you'll become more and more knowledgeable the fact that you can't, because you'll fall and ask for help. And this is why, if you look back through the great saints in history, why they have this weird mix of they're so good, but they're so humble. We look at them from the outside and you're like, you're feeding the poor, you're changing the world, you're so sacrificial, you're doing all these things. And every time they talk about themselves, they're like, I'm really not that special. There's not anything that big about me. Uh, here are all my flaws. I have a lot of doubts. What's happening there is they know that it's not them. They know that it's God working through them. And we want to put them up on a pedestal, but they know. And that will start to happen for you. You will know that it's not you. That the times you got it right, it was because those were the times when you trusted in God to do something in you. And then maybe the most beautiful thing that happens is um, while it's true that without faith it's impossible to please God, you will discover that with faith it's easy to please God. My, little, my littler son, Leo, he's a little over one, and he's just started making some words. And um, here are the words that he knows. He says, ball but it sounds like, um, like, bah. And he says, book, and that sounds like, bah. <laughs> two separate words. Don't try to take one of my son's words away from him. Those are two different words. Um, he also says, dada. He does not say mama, so there. He says, dada. <laughs> and that's a two-syllable word. I know it's the same syllable twice, but that's a two-syllable word. Don't try to take that away from him. Now, here's the thing. When he's 40 years old, uh, unless there's some kind of developmental thing we don't know about yet, when he's 40 years old, I'm not going to be content if the best he can manage is dada. Like, he needs to learn how to talk. He needs to learn how to say the word father. But the first time that he said dada, I wasn't like, you know what, Leo, get it right. <laughs> it's father. No, it's dada. I was like, I was beside myself. I was like bragging on mama. I was like, he said dada. I was like beside myself. Easy to please. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. With faith, I'm not exaggerating. If you, on your way home today, pick up a piece of trash because you know that God sees you and nobody else does, you have pleased God. Do something or don't do something because you really believe in your heart that it pleases God, and just like that, you have. So may you, when it's easy to follow Jesus and when it's not easy to follow Jesus, when it's pleasant and when it's painful, when it makes sense to you and when it doesn't make sense to you and when it makes sense to those around you and when it doesn't make sense to those around you, may you trust in him, which is all another way of saying, may you live by faith. Let's pray. Uh, God, that is my prayer for this church. I pray that you would help every single man and woman in the sound of my voice to trust you, to get to know you, and to ask your Holy Spirit to help us to live out the things that you've said that are true. And I pray that something really wonderful would happen in this church, that people would discover to their delight that you come through for us, that you give us what we need, that we're able to do things we never thought we'd be able to do or that we certainly were not able to do and that we would experience the freedom and the joy that comes with living by faith. 
We pray that in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.